One of the reasons that I often when talking about getting clients end up telling people that you just need to go out there and talk to a bunch of people is oftentimes you don't even realize like where the fit or the misfit is until you've actually had the conversations. You have realizations after you have the conversation that like, oh, that person wasn't a fit and I could have caught that beforehand. And yeah, so I can learn from that. And next time, hopefully I'll do a little bit better. And so I wanna talk about that, kind of reflecting on something that happened to me recently. I wanna talk about that in today's episode and hopefully share some value with you around how to find your ideal client. So let's, let's start, like, if I'm saying that we learn through failure, if I'm saying that we learn through finding people who are not a fit, then yeah, I, I, better, be, uh, I better be forthcoming about some of that as well. So for example, very early on in my copywriting career, I got a referral to somebody who was running a supplement business. Now, this wasn't any just any supplement business. This was a men's health supplement business, uh, you know, a, a penis pill, right? And I, man, um, I tried to do a good job, but I was early 20s. I, I you know, I just didn't get the customer, didn't get the customer avatar. I was more excited to be showing off my um, fancy copywriting skills than I was to actually connect with the the prospect, the customer. And it kind of sucked. And I learned pretty quickly that number one, that wasn't the market for me, certainly not then. Uh, number two, let's see, the um, I, I wasn't that big of a fan of supplement promos and I still, I'm not really that big of a fan of, of doing any kind of supplement work. Um, you know, it just it just wasn't a fit for me. And I'm sure that there are a few different things along the way. Number three, realizing that not every referral is somebody you should take, right? Um, so I very quickly learned, you know, when I turned in that copy and it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. It wasn't a good fit. Um, that, okay, maybe I shouldn't do work in that market, right? Uh, I've tried to get into the startup world. I've tried to connect with startup businesses locally. I spent a, a, a while going to a lot of startup related events in my hometown and connecting with a lot of people. And, uh, you know, despite having lots of good conversations with people, lots of exciting conversations with people, it never really panned out. And in fact, like one of the clients that I worked with, they immediately said, oh, well, like, you know, $2,000 to most businesses is $200 to us or or $200 to us is like $2,000 to most businesses. So we'll pay you based on results, but we can only pay you $200 to do this promo. And I don't know why I took it. I guess I was just excited. And it was just like, it wasn't a fit at all. It uh, it wasn't a fit. And they, they never really bought into kind of my style of marketing. They were very much like a PR driven company. Okay. Um, yeah. An another challenge. And I, I learned fairly early on that most startups really are not a good fit for me. Uh, I almost ended up in a VP of marketing job. I was one of two candidates that made it to the very end of the process. And uh, it was for another local business, this one much bigger. Um, and, and that was actually kind of the challenge was that I was very happy at the time as a consultant and copywriter for businesses. And they realized that, oh, geez, I, I was very happy with what I was doing. 
and moving into this different role of VP of marketing for this big company that had 100 plus employees, you know, maybe that wasn't a great fit. And that's fine. Like, um, you know, it was, it was an opportunity that I pursued for a while and was really interested in for a while. But it, in the end, it was a recognition that, no, this isn't going to work out at all. I also, um, in part because that company was very tied to the nonprofit sector, I got very into direct response fundraising. And there is some really great copywriting, really cool marketing in direct response fundraising. And it's really interesting and you can like serve good causes while writing copy. And I very quickly realized that there is a ton of opportunity still today. This was years ago, but still today, there's a ton of opportunity in the fundraising world to adopt some of the what we might call digital marketing and direct response online practices that are common today. So things like funnels and upsells and ascension offers and continuity and all of these different things that would work extremely well in fundraising that just are not, they're, they're, they're not being done right now. And I tried to initiate some conversations there, but I quickly realized like I could go to an investment newsletter publisher and get $20,000, try a sales letter. But then these fundraising opportunities, like even if I could get them to buy into like having me write a letter for them. Those projects are in the hundreds or maybe a couple thousand dollars that uh, like, and there wasn't buy-in for really innovative online direct response marketing. And so, you know, even after having a couple great conversations, including with some fundraisers that really agreed with me on principle, uh, you know, it was, it was just a matter of, you know, I was beating my head against the wall to try and have any success there. I was also successful in like the direct response, financial publishing, stock picking newsletters um, business for quite some time. Uh, but shortly before all of the compliance issues came down and that industry changed significantly over the last couple of years, shortly before that, I was just losing heart for it. Like I'd run a bunch of promos, I'd, I had some big client successes in that industry. And um, at, at the same time, like I wasn't excited to sell people another stock pick. I stopped being excited to sell people another stock pick and I didn't feel good about it. And so what was initially a really good opportunity to, uh, to do those things, for me, stopped being quite the same level of fit. And it just, you know, at some point, uh, well, I let it go way too long. I let it go way too long where my heart was out of it. Uh, but my career was still in it, still getting paid to write those uh, stock picking newsletters, you know, and this is this is those things that you learn. And I guess I'm not telling this as well as a horror story as I could if I could add some drama, add some suspense, add some intrigue. But what was happening all along the way for all of these different horror stories in between all of my success stories was I was putting in a lot of effort for not nearly the results that would have been possible if I'd had better alignment with the clients. And so better alignment with the clients could have had more success, more happiness, more joy in my work. And even like my first job, my first marketing job, which I often call a success because it was a success. It's how I got my start in marketing. I helped the company grow from like two and a half million to about $8 million a year over the course of about four years. 
launched some awesome offers, um, you know, in general, got my start in marketing there. And at the same time, one aspect where that company felt like a big failure for me personally, even as I had a lot of fun and had a lot of success and served the client and the client served me and grew my career, right? One aspect where it felt like a big failure is the owner of the company never really bought into the idea of direct response, never really bought into the idea of using direct response principles and like orienting your marketing around direct response principles. And because of that, yeah, I never really felt like I could fully flourish in a marketing role in that company. And so it felt like a failure because I was constrained by this cultural misfit. And, and honestly, that's come back over and over again. And I'm going to talk about this in a second, but it's come back over and over again for me that if the client is not in the direct response like mindset, if they're not... <laughs> Uh, one way that I've put it is like, I worship at the altar of direct response. And I know that sounds over the top, but when I think about like how I think about marketing and my beliefs, my belief systems around marketing and what I fundamentally align with around marketing, the principles in marketing that make sense to me, it's always direct response. And if you're not a direct response person, if you're like, if you worship at the altar of, brand advertising, if you worship at the altar of institutional advertising, if you hate direct response, if you think that we're heathens, right? It's not going to be a fit. It's not going to be a fit. It's not going to be a fit. Um, and, and this gets to the next point of my notes here. You need to know what makes a great client for you, right? And often we learn these things through failure. This is why, you know, I say put in the wraps. I say go out and like have have conversations with potential clients, realize who you are and are not a fit for through those conversations, do client work where you do like test projects or initial runs with clients and figure out what do you like, what do you not like, right? Don't go all in maybe um, until you really know that you have a great fit because you really need to spend some time making sure that you're working with someone who is a great client for you. And so some things that are gonna be pretty universal is somebody who's ready, willing, and able to pay your fees, right? If somebody thinks that your fees are expensive for what you do, right? Or if somebody thinks your fees are a great deal, but they're not like able to pay those fees, or somebody who thinks your fees are a great deal and um, they are able to pay the fees, but it's going to be in next year's budget. Yeah, that's not a great client for you right now, right? So somebody who's ready, willing, and able to pay your fees, whatever you set them at, for whatever service that you're providing. Someone who will respect you for your greatest strengths. There for me, it's direct response through and through. Like my greatest strengths are in direct response. Direct response principles, direct response strategy, direct response copy, right? Identifying opportunities through the principles and strategies of direct response. And if you don't respect me for that, if that's not something that you want, well, then we may not be a great fit. And it's, it's not just like an offer fit or a market fit. Uh, there's this term psychographics. And so you probably know like uh, demographics, right? Demographics are things like income, things like age, things like gender, thing, you know, all of those things that easily show up and are questions that can be asked on a generic survey, things that government data tracks, all of that, right? That's demographics. Psychographics is 
the measurement of how people think. And most often it is a measurement of behavior that reflects a certain type of thinking. So um, if, if someone is a, um, a conservative, their, their psychographic profile is going to represent them being a conservative. And so there may be some certain conservative values. If they are a liberal, their psychographic profile is going to include lots of things that include certain liberal values. So these things can be like the news sources that you subscribe to, the clubs that you're a part of, the community organizations, the, the nonprofits that you donate to, all of these things represent psychographics, but also things like what business and marketing books do you buy? Do you buy Claude Hopkins? Do you buy John Caples? Do you buy David Ogilvy? Do you buy, you know, more recently, Alex Hormozzi, uh, Michael Masterson, I was just talking about that, Eugene Schwartz, right? Um, do you buy Robert Collier? Do you buy you know, all these different books? Or we could look at courses and programs and memberships and all of that too, right? But those represent a certain type of marketer, a certain mental approach to marketing that can be classified under the psychographics. And so you could have two people, one could be in the newsletter business, right? Like, you know, thinking back to my time in, in financial newsletters, one could be in the financial newsletter business, but really be very focused on image advertising and um, not a big fan of, let's say, Eugene Schwartz or Claude Hopkins or Dan Kennedy or whatever, right? And another one could be a big fan of Eugene Schwartz and Claude Hopkins and Dan Kennedy and all the direct response copywriters and marketers, right? And the one who is going to be a better fit or would have been a better fit at the time that I was pursuing that industry was the person who was into all of those particular authors, right? And so what I'm looking for, what I'm looking for, if you're looking to find your ideal client, you want to know like, what clubs are they a part of? Who, what organizations are they a part of? What are they a member of? Who do they follow? What media do they follow? What influencers do they follow, right? Um, and, and these things are far more powerful when you find alignment than something like an offer fit or a market fit, right? So what happens when you have a misfit client, right? Uh, it's not like the band, the misfits, and it's not like a misfit, like, you know, somebody, uh, I don't know, a, a social misfit or whatever. Uh, this is just somebody who's not a fit for you, right? Uh, the best case scenario is they don't become a client. So this is part of why I'm thinking about this recently. I, um, you may know if you've paid attention to my recent episodes that I've launched a fractional CMO service. And my initial positioning for that uh, was that I provide fractional CMO services for high ticket expert businesses. And many high ticket expert businesses are a great fit for me. But I very quickly ran into a wall and it is one particular uh, prospect that I was talking to, but I, I think it represents a suspicion that I had about that decision already. And so I feel pretty comfortable uh, changing dis uh, direction a little bit. Um, and this is all like while my kids are at spring break, so I'm, I'm not doing a lot of work this week. But, um, uh, you know, I had a conversation with somebody who was a great fit for from that high ticket expert business perspective, but was not a great fit from the direct response perspective. And I very quickly ran into a bunch of objections that to me just represented, yeah, this person's not a fit from the direct response perspective, right? This person is not a fit from, um, you know, valuing the type of skills that I bring to the table 
as a direct response marketer, as somebody who is a direct response strategist, who understands copy, who's been a copy chief and copywriter before, all of that, right? So best case scenario, they don't become a client. And this person decided not to become a client and that's fine, it was actually probably best for both of us, right? Um, if they do become a client, what often ends up happening, and this is part of my client horror stories, right? Is they're never happy. They, like, you don't make the best of it, they don't make the best of it, like nobody's making the best of it. They're not happy, you're not happy, right? And so as long as you maintain this client relationship, there's gonna be a sense of dissatisfaction, right? And so both of you are better off splitting ways. Both of you are better off deciding, you know what, let's end this here. And I briefly mentioned that early on, it, you know, it's it can be smart as you are testing a bunch of clients to have some type of test type project, right? So like my fractional CMO services, I have 90 days, right? 90 days. And after 90 days, we both have to decide that it continues to make sense to work together. Um, but that is enough time both for us to evaluate each other and enough time for me to start to make a difference in their business um, so they can they can have a good evaluation of me. Um, and, and so you do want to be able to set it up so that there is a, a good out if it's not a good fit. Uh, but it's even better if you can find out beforehand, if somebody can find out beforehand that it's not a fit. Um, now, when you do work with an ideal client, right, when you, when you identify what makes a great client for you, um, then they're going to love and respect you and your work, right? They're going to they're think you're awesome, right? There's going to be a lot of joy working together, being together. Uh, they're going to be excited to work with you. You're going to be excited to work with them. They will happily pay you well, right? Uh, and, and these things are should not be understated because they represent like your capacity for greatness because when you're happy doing your work with ideal clients, and we could say ideal employers here too, but when you're happy doing your work with ideal clients, you are going to perform better. You're gonna feel better about your work and the results are going to reflect that, right? And so that's what happens when you're with an ideal client. And, and often it does boil down to a, key, a, a few key factors, right? So for me, I've recognized that every time I try to do business with someone who is not self-identified as a direct response marketer, it's, it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so, you know, I'm going back and saying, okay, I figured this out for copywriting. I figured out that I could do copywriting with people, you know, I could try to do copywriting with people who weren't direct response marketers and it would pretty much always end in frustration or just kind of like a petering out, nobody's happy. Or I can work with clients who are direct response marketers and usually we are ecstatic. We work together well, it's great, right? So direct response marketer for me is one of those things where um, if, if I say, how strongly do you uh, identify with the statement, I am a direct response marketer? Or how strongly do you agree with the statement, I am a direct response marketer? And it was like strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, strongly agree. Uh, they're not going to be a good client unless it's agree or strongly agree. I mean, it's, it, they're just not. They're just not. Uh, and so many other things can take a backseat to that fit 
for me in particular. And so, you know, what are the key factors for you? Other things for me is it they tend to be a copy-centric culture, meaning they're using sales copy, marketing copy heavily to create conversion events, to generate leads, customers, sales, and profits, right? And when they're using copy, that probably means that there's a lot of opportunity for me. Uh, even as a, a CMO, even if I'm not the one writing the copy, that still represents someone who uh, whose business is a lot of opportunity for me. Uh, also, for me, results-oriented. Being focused on results versus being focused on, oh, I just want marketing that you know looks good or that you know my aunt's going to approve of because she reads my website once a week um, and sends me love notes uh, about what she thinks about my website. All of that, right? Like... <laughs> If, if you're not results oriented, it's probably not going to be a great fit for me. And again, like this is my list and I'm not telling you this needs to be your list. Maybe your list is different, right? Maybe some of these things are a great fit for your list, but you need to find those factors through often experimentation and often like having clients who are not a good fit, clients who are a misfit, right? And then at some point, you start to get more and more clear on that. So even if you run into someone, you're like, oh yeah, that's why that didn't work. Uh, okay, that's a reminder that I need to find clients who, who match on those few key factors. So my call to action for you at the end of this episode, your call to action is to ask yourself, how can you use this? If you wanna find your ideal client, how are you going to find the factors that are essential to identifying who they are and when you put those factors into your marketing, so if I change it up instead of saying I'm a fractional CMO for high ticket expert businesses and instead say I'm a fractional CMO for direct response marketers, right? Um, how can they self-identify through recognition that when they read your marketing message, they, they think this is a fit for me. This is, this is the person I've been looking for, right? So ask yourself how you can use this lesson um, going forward, don't forget to like and subscribe if you want more content like this delivered to you. If you are launching your client business, I'll include a link in the description to the Launch Your Client Business free mini course. I will also include a link to my fractional CMO services if you are interested in those as well. I'm Roy Fur. This is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Um, yeah, if you haven't launched your client business or you need to relaunch it, if questions like how to find your ideal client or how to get clients in the first place are really important to you, check that link in the description of the Launch Your Client Business free mini course. It's extremely valuable. Uh, so check that out and I'll see you again in the next episode. See you soon. Bye. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.